0: passage for today is much shorter than what was just read. Uh, So here, the words of the Lord, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be Thanks be God. God. All right, you may sit. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the words of um, Paul to Timothy here, for uh, showing us Paul's heart and showing us Paul, Paul's life through his words and declaring and showing that he was sinful the foremost sinner, and yet you gave him mercy. You gave him grace. You forgave him and drew him out of the darkness. We ask that your words uh, would come true in our lives. We ask that you would speak through me this morning, that I would speak truthfully, and that you would convict and draw our hearts to you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So a couple weeks back, uh, Dan introduced the book of 1 Timothy, Uh, very well, and he talked about how it is Paul, an older, uh, not prophet, apostle, uh, writing to a younger man in the faith who is being trained up as a leader of the church. Now, this is really important to keep in mind because the book of 1 Timothy is a little different than some of the other letters that are written by Paul, right? Talking about 1 Corinthians or uh, Hebrews or Romans, Some of those are dealing with specific instances of the church and Paul is writing as more so an authoritative figure or leader of the church, instructing them in the ways of God. But here we get an insight into the heart and life of Paul, into his true desires of what he wants to communicate to Timothy, who is this young man who knows much about the scriptures but also needs to learn much about holiness and leading people in holiness. So keeping that in mind helps us understand why is Paul talking the way he's talking? And we saw the past couple weeks, uh, Pastor Daniel Ralph, he uh, exposited and showed us that Paul wants Timothy to remain where he is for what purpose? In order to sanctify the church, in order to keep the false teachers at bay, in order to lead the, the people in holiness. And he identified what was the issue going on. Daniel Rolf talked about how the wrong usage of the law. Paul talks about this in the previous verses, how there are those who want to use the law wrongly. They want to use it for the just and not the unjust. But Paul commen- tells us that it is those who use the, the law lawfully that are using it right. And, and so in this, we see the content of some of the false believers that Timothy needs to be aware of while dealing with the churches where he 's at and that segues into this passage uh, first first off I want to point out that I didn't really see this until really studying this in depthly that Paul probably brings to light the wrong usage of the law because Paul was one of those people when he was a he didn't believe in Christ as God right in his Jewish uh, life he was using the the law wrongfully. And so he's very aware of how that can manifest itself. And we see that elsewhere in scripture. We see that in Romans uh, chapters four through seven primarily. But here we get to the heart of the matter. What is Paul wanting to convey to Timothy? And what he's really wanting to convey is the extent of God's mercy and grace as shown by his own life. Paul's words that are often quoted in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15 here, are used uh, prolifically by many in describing the extent of their own sin, and that is a good and right usage. But Paul, I would argue, uses it for another reason as well. He uses it twice, calling himself the foremost sinner, basically the most sinful person, for a reason. In verse 16, "I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience. He is an example for those who would to believe. And that's what Paul wants to communicate to Timothy. But before we dive too deep into that, let's back up and start at uh, verse 12 here. Paul's explaining that he received mercy and grace. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. He was an insolent opponent. Now, if you remember too much about the life of Saul, who became Paul, Uh, he, in Acts chapter 7, was there when Stephen was being stoned to death. Stephen was preaching the gospel, expositing the Old Testament to the scribes, and then they grew angry at him. They picked up stones and they killed him. And at the end of that, there's a small passage and it says and many of the men laid their coats down before the young man Saul who is called Saul now if getting getting too much detail that tells us Saul is probably in his 20s at this time upper age of maybe 30 so he would have been very familiar with the life and teachings of Jesus in fact he probably was a similar age of Jesus and being trained in the pharisaical way in the being trained to be a rabbi and to be a Pharisee, he definitely would have been aware of all of the stuff going around with Jesus, all of his teachings and the miracles being performed. But Paul, who was once unfaithful, or Saul at the time, he declares is now faithful. Right? One man who once was approving of the killing of an innocent disciple of Jesus now is that very disciple who is going to different churches, going around the whole uh, area of what was known Palestine and into Greece and into Italy and beyond, sleepless nights, being stoned, being whipped, uh, receiving the lashes, which is 39 lashes, three times. Many things which uh, for many people would actually kill them being imprisoned, and then escaping from prison. So we see here that he does not mince words when he emphasizes the fact that he received mercy and grace. This grace turned, did a complete 180 in his life. And that is the nature of grace. And as the sermon's titled, that's the heart of the matter. And we will see, as it's been told from long ago, that mercy and grace was always embedded in God's message to his people. Because God knows the wickedness and the sinfulness of mankind. Now, he says an interesting phrase here, uh, which sometimes can get a, we can get a possible misunderstanding. So I want to clarify it, because I know when I first read this a long time ago, I was confused by it. And I actually believed one of the, uh, not fully, but I kind of believed one of the misunderstandings. Uh, <laughs> he says that... I receive in verse 13, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly. Now, some can take this as, oh, my unbelief caused mercy. Right? I am doing lawless deeds, and so therefore, mercy is, be- is coming to me all the more. Now, we see elsewhere in Romans that this misunderstanding has taken place as well. Right? Paul is accused of what's called antinomianism or lawlessness. Right? teaching people that they can do whatever they want, basically, and you will receive mercy. But that's not, the, that's not the notion of this because. The notion of this because has to deal with the notion of mercy and grace. One cannot receive mercy or grace unless one has done wrong. And this isn't mercy like the game where you play with your sibling, where they sit on you and punch your shoulder until you you know, cry out mercy, and then they punch your other shoulder till you cry out mercy, and then they do it again, and you're sitting there wondering, why are you doing this to me? No, this is true mercy. This is like mercy or grace in the court of law. A judge is standing here, and you have done something wrong, and you are pleading for mercy. Please be merciful towards me, judge. Don't give me the punishment that is due to me. That's what Paul's talking about here. The only reason he receives mercy is because he had a punishment due to him. He was walking in darkness. There was judgment coming, and because there's judgment, he needs mercy. At the heart of it is the mercy of God. That is what we need, and that's what he needs, and that's what he's communicating here. Now we get into the main section and the bulk of the text, for today, which is verses 15 through 17. Paul declares that he is the foremost sinner, he is the example of God's mercy. So that, as I mentioned before, others may understand the extent of God's mercy. But I want us to back up. I want us to investigate Saul's life before receiving mercy. I want us to really think about who is Saul, Paul, now Paul, but was Saul. And what was he doing that was so bad? So Saul, he was trained in the law of God. Being trained to be a rabbi under Gamaliel was a very, very high honor of the day. Uh, Gamaliel, just so you have some reference, he is probably like an Augustine or a Calvin figure in the Jewish faith. He is still referenced today, he still has impacts on how people exegete the scriptures for rabbis today. They reference him uh, and during that time period he was highly respected and highly referenced by all the teachers of the law. This is like going to, in modern day, let's say you have a specific trade you're good at or a specific subject, going to the best school you can imagine being trained by the most famous person. Let's say you're an engineer, and Elon Musk decides to train you. It's similar to that. He was that respected in that day. And the training was rigorous. It was not light. Saul, at the time, or Paul, most likely had memorized much of, if not the entire, what they called Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, in Hebrew. The the language of which it was written. So he knew it back and forth. He knew it very well. On top of that, being a Jewish person who was granted Roman citizenship, his parents gave it, uh, his parents got it, and therefore he got it uh, He was probably of very high um, standing in Roman society, or his parents were. You only get Roman citizenship being an outsider if you have a really good reputation or you have a lot of money or you have some influence on the politics. And because of this, his parents likely put him into a lot of education. And so he would have had to learn languages like Latin for being able to deal with legal issues. He would have also, as we know in Acts, he can speak fluently in both Greek and the Hebrew tongue, which is Aramaic. Just a side note, whenever you see the Hebrew tongue in the New Testament, most of the time it refers to the language which the Hebrew spoke, which was not Hebrew, which it can be confusing, it was Aramaic. So he was preaching in Aramaic, and then the guard comes, remember, and he's like, why are you talking this language? And all of a sudden he starts preaching in Greek, and they're like, oh, what, You're, you know Greek? How, is, how can this be? So Paul was a very educated man, he knew a lot, and he was on a trajectory to be a prominent rabbi in the faith. By all accounts, he was deemed faithful. On top of that, it's referenced that he had zeal for the Lord. Now, this reference to zeal is a callback to a story in Numbers 25, verses 1 through 15. It's the story of Phineas. Phineas, or not Phineas, but some person in the camp of the congregation of Israel, was committing a sin. And so there was a plague coming upon Israel. They were dying left and right, and there was a big issue. And Phineas, desiring for the holiness of his people and for the holiness of God, sought out what the issue was. And he found that there was a man, and he he was sleeping with a Midianite woman. And so he takes a spear and kills them both. And the plague goes away. And he is commended for his zeal for God. And in fact, he is blessed and he's blessed with a covenant of grace as well. He got rid of the corruption that was being brought upon Israel at the time. Saul or Paul had this same desire. But there is something interesting going on in Saul's life. And it's what goes on in many people's lives, and it's not necessarily interesting in the, you know, good way. It's interesting in the very, like, passive North Midwest way of like, oh, that's interesting. Like, that's really bad, right? (laughs) Um, And that was that in all of his zeal, he was going down a path to hell. He was going down a darkened path. This man who knew the mysteries of God, he knew scripture back and forth. He knew the laws of God and he knew like what it stood for. And he had zeal to execute those laws. He wanted to rid Israel of the disease, right? That's why the Pharisees call people like the woman in the parable I mentioned in, or that was mentioned in Acts 7, a sinner, right? The sin causes a disease upon Israel, and so there was much belief that if you had some deformity, it was because of some sin that you or your parents committed. We see that in John chapter 10. There is a blind man. And the first question they asked Jesus is, who sinned, this man or his parents? And what does Christ say? He says, neither. This man was born blind. Why? For the glory of God. So in that thinking, that is what they believed. And so they needed to rid Israel of sinners. They needed to rid Israel of the disease, just like Phineas did, so that they could receive blessing. But Paul missed something in the Old Testament. He missed something in all of his studies of scripture. He missed something very important, and that was the mercy and grace of God. He missed the fact that the law was not meant to save. The law exposes the sin, and it is the faith and going to the mercy and grace of God that then brings forgiveness. It is the repentance. And from the beginning, it was always about the repentance and the faith in God. That's why I put Leviticus 26, uh, verses 40 through 45. We can see embedded in the law is knowledge from God that he knows his people will disobey and that they will walk away from his covenant. And guess what? God continually offers A way back, he continually offers reconciliations. He says, if they would just turn to me and confess their sins, I will receive them. That's what Paul missed. And so when we see Paul's life, we see someone who knew everything about God, yet he wanted to kill God. He wanted to kill Christ. That is the extent of his sin. That is why he is saying, look, Timothy, the buck stops with me. You don't get it, man. I knew everything. I knew it all, but I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand that at the heart of everything in God's revelation was his mercy and grace for people wanting them to come to me, wanting his people to repent of their sins and to come to God. That is the extent of Paul's sin. Now, there's two key concepts here that I want to talk about. They're kind of undergirding how we view uh, the nature of sin in the world. And that is the difference between the world and the church. There is the world and there is the church. The church is set apart, as we have read in scripture, but not set apart physically, set apart ethically or morally right? We're to be holy. We're not to be like the world. And too often, uh, in my life, and I've witnessed even nowadays, people confuse the two. And guess what? Paul also saw this. Paul also saw that people would confuse the two. That is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he addresses this very issue. He says in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Now that phrase go out of the world sometimes can be confusing. What he's saying is you would physically need to leave the world to not associate with an idolater or a sexually immoral person because they're everywhere. The world is full of it. You go to work. I worked at Target corporate for a long time. You go there, and guess what? There's a lot of idolaters there. Their whole company is set up to, in a sense, propagate uh, ideals that are against God. So you would physically need to take a rocket and get out of planet Earth in order to not associate with them. And so that was the confusion that was happening in the Church of Corinth. And many times this happens in our own life. I'm guilty of it, especially when I was a young believer, that I thought, oh, I can't partake in anything of an evil company. I can't talk to people who are, who are bad or immoral in a sense. Um, I need to only talk to those in the church and we need to really focus on holiness. But there's an issue with that. That neglects the mercy of God. That neglects the whole heart of the matter. And that's what Paul is trying to talk about in 1 Corinthians. And that's what he's trying to convey here as well is that to a darkened world, we should not expect holiness. A darkened world will do dark things. A depraved world will do depraved things. As Jeff mentioned, there is the bill on the Minnesota um, House and Senate about, ba- about uh, extending abortion till f- full term, if I got the details right. That ideal, of depravity was present in this day as well. People would offer their children to gods as sacrifice so that the gods may look favorably upon them. The Romans would do that occasionally. And in fact, the Romans, in order to execute justice and keep peace, if you even had an inkling of a riot or an uprising, they might take your friends and family and you and crucify you in the streets of where you live in the name of a Pagan God. The darkened world will do dark things, and we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. Why do we get mad at a dog for wagging its tail? Why would we? We shouldn't. Paul was that darkened person. Paul was the person who was actively trying to kill the people of God and trying to suppress God himself. We see in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, that this is the case. We see there that all people have an innate knowledge of God. And the issue is not that they haven't had enough education, as Pelagius believed, they haven't had People show enough kindness to them that the issue or they haven't reasoned correctly. The issue is they have this knowledge of God, and yet they suppress the truth. It is said that God's decrees, his perfect justice and mercy are known and plain for all to see, but they repress it. Sin represses the knowledge of God, and so a darkened world will not reason correctly it will never reason correctly. We can try to reason all the time with them and they're thinking in their, in their mind, they will continually think they're doing good, but they will continually only do evil. That is the power of sin. That is what it means to be a slave to sin. Paul was that man. He thought he was doing perfect good all the time. And guess what? He was on a path to hell. He was misusing God's words to then implement harsh commandments and judge people and hold eternal life in the balance. But Christ gave us an example. That's what Paul is exclaiming here. He's saying that, look, Christ showed mercy on me. He showed mercy on me so that other people may believe. They may know how merciful God is. We as Christians, we need to take that seriously. We need to Listen to the words of the very famous passage, John 3:16. Right? It's exactly how we should view the world. For God so loved the world that He sat back and accused it. No, He. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. Because the world already has a judge, and if we don't view the world as in need of mercy, if we don't view the world as a lost world, as people who are wandering about blind and are are gut instinct is not compassion and desire for them to come to the knowledge of God and to repent and believe, then we've missed the mark. We've missed something very key to the Christian faith. Christ calls us to be a light and salt to the world. That is exactly what it means. He calls us to bless those who persecute us. When we are struck on the cheek, we're to turn the other. Because, not because we approve of what they do, but because of who they are, because they are darkened and they need mercy and they need, they need the light of the gospel. <coughs> I didn't plan for this, uh, but in, we read Psalm 32 uh, earlier today, which was uh, you know in God's providence great because I have that as a central theme for this being shown in the Old Testament. So we're gonna read Psalm 32 one more time uh, because it is so good. (laughs) Uh, You see in Psalm 32 that David understood the heart of the matter. David says in verse five, I will make my sin known to you and my iniquity I do not cover. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, but you will bear the iniquity of my sin. David understood something that Paul didn't before encountering Christ that going to God is always the way out of sin. Going to God and confessing is the way that God reconciles us to himself. And he did so through his son, Jesus Christ. (laughs) So we, as Christians, need to mimic the love of the Father. Now at the heart of this is... Uh, something very important, which is how we view God, ourselves, and the world. And it kind of gets to the core of our being. Those who want to proclaim judgment over the world and say, you know, oh, let them be, let them just go into their disaster and we will go away, or to continually criticize the world and not seek their repentance and not show God's love to them and God's mercy... There's a fundamental error there, and that is that they're taking the place of God. As it says in Deuteronomy 32, 35, he says, vengeance is mine. Now, this verse is quoted multiple times in the New Testament because it is very important for the people of God and the people of Israel to understand that vengeance is God's. That is why when we are persecuted, we are to bless. It is not our duty to enact vengeance upon a sinful world. That's what Paul understands and he wants to convey to Timothy. He's saying here, look, Timothy, I was sinful beyond belief, but I received mercy. And so we are to do the same to those in the outside world. We are to do the same to those who are being darkened every day, who continue to walk in their depravity. We are to call for their repentance. We are to seek and desire for their repentance. And where it hits home is how we view and talk to people, talk about people and talk to people every day. Do we view them as people who are lost? Do we view them as people who need the gospel? Or do we view them as insane or annoying? Or why why are you propagating these ideas upon me? Do you go to work and that one person who is very, very anti-God in his rhetoric, or her rhetoric, who is really annoying to you, who may be bad at their job, do we show grace to that person? Do we show mercy to them? Are we kind to them? Do we desire that they may come to the knowledge of God? I want to tell you a personal story of this very um, phenomenon going the wrong way uh, when I was twenty two almost twenty three I spent a summer in Olympic National Park, which is west of uh, Seattle in washington it 's a giant rainforest, and my mission there was to live in the national park, working at what 's called a concessionaire, so like the lodges that are embedded in them uh, and to be a, basically be a light and conduct services, like worship services, just like singing psalms and stuff for any person traveling. Now, the conditions there were not favorable. In fact, they were terrible. Within two weeks, I had a rash on my whole face and it burned because I was so stressed. I have a condition where this rash pops up when I'm stressed, et cetera. And I was so stressed that my whole face was red and it was burning for two days straight. And people around me were like concerned. So I went to the dermatologist and she, you know, told me exactly what it was. About two weeks later, I woke up with mice on me. Um, And on top of that, the food uh, was basically like cereal and it wasn't very good, I will say. On top of that, the people I was living with, they were some of the most unsavory characters I have met today. Uh, one guy, he had an arrest warrant for a DWI in Wyoming. Uh, I know this because the sheriffs came when we lost a tent, but they couldn't arrest him because there's something with the laws of Wyoming to Washington, you can't arrest him. I don't know the details, but basically, they're like, look, you got a DWI, if you go to Wyoming, you're in jail, because uh, it's like his third. There's another guy, he was about my age, and he already had an arrest warrant on him for giving alcohol to minors and doing other things uh, with minors that are illegal. These were the people I was living with. And on top of that, most of them were potheads. Uh, They smoked a lot of pot. And it was not a very uh, conducive environment for me to uh, enjoy, I will say. And I grew bitter. I grew bitter because I was expecting something of darkened people that I shouldn't expect. And my heart was not there to show mercy and kindness and grace to these people and to be a light to them. And I ended the summer and I just felt bitter towards them and I felt bitter towards God. That is the danger of going down the path of not showing mercy. It is the danger of the older son in the story of the prodigal son. The younger son ran away with the inheritance and he squandered it. And the younger son is eating in pig troughs sleeping with pigs. It's pretty disgusting. I don't know if you've ever been around pigs, but it's really gross. Uh, The older brother, he refused to bring him back into the house. But the father showed love beyond measure to the younger brother. The younger brother comes. He's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the father runs to him in love. And the older brother doesn't want him in the house. That is not mimicking the heart of God. That is not being gracious and merciful to people who need it. They are lost. And that's what Paul's communicating. He's like, look, Timothy, I was so dark. And these people out here, they are lost and they need mercy. There's a biblical story of this as well. There's a minor, there's a prophet and his name is Jonah. We call him the reluctant prophet because he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In fact, he says that very proudly in, I think, chapter one. He says, I am a Hebrew, I am a Jew. And he's called to preach to a people who are unclean, very unclean. The people of Tarsus or Tarshish are not the Jewish people. In fact, they're pagan and they want to destroy the Jewish people and they worship false gods and they probably sacrifice children to those gods. It was very common practice in that day and age. And yet God calls Jonah to preach to them repentance. And Jonah doesn't want to go. And so God throws him into a whale or a big fish, however you want to translate it. Um, And at the end of the story, Jonah is still reluctant. But God's plan still shows true. The people of Tarshish repented. Even though Jonah was reluctant, God's plan still went through, which was the mercy of God calling people to repentance. So I encourage us, let's not be like Jonah or me when I was younger. Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6 says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our actions and our deeds are very important. Sometimes we get down the rut of you know, God's sovereign and his plan will always come to fruition. And so what we ignore in that is human responsibility. We go so far down that path that we, we disregard the fact that we have a responsibility to, to participate in this as well. So my questions are, I want you to think of that one person who just can't stand. They are an insolent opponent to God, like Paul was. They clearly worship different things, whether it be the modern uh, transgender movement, whether it be much of modern secularism or big government secularism that's propagating in America. You You can name a handful of things their rhetoric is very anti-God, specifically anti-your God. Right? They don't like the one true God. And they continually get on your case. And they continually question you. And they continually bother you. Or maybe you have a family member. Maybe it's a friend from, way, from 20 years ago where you grew up in the church together and they walked away from the faith and they're clearly full of bitterness towards God. Is our desire for them... For them to come to the light, and for God to forgive them? Are we wanting to show grace to all people at all times, knowing that vengeance is not ours, but vengeance is the Lord's? And do our actions reflect this? Our actions are bear witness to our words and beliefs, whether we like it or not. What we do and what we say will give a testimony to what we believe. Now your actions can either be gracious or ungracious. You know you can be a, you can be um, direct graciously. You can be direct ungraciously. You can be passive graciously. You can be un you can be passive ungraciously, right? Grace and mercy and how we conduct our lives is you're like separate from certain personality or cultural traits. When Stephen was being stoned, and that's what I want to leave you with, the story of Stephen, as he saw the people in front of him, he was preaching to them, wanting them to repent, and he was thrown out of the city, and he sees all these people, and they're picking up stones, and as they're picking up these stones to hurl at his face so that he, his bones would be crushed, and he's going to die, the thing that he cried out to them, cried out to God, was lord forgive them for they know not what they do the same words that christ cried out why did he do that it's because he understood blind people don't know what they're doing and he wants them to come to a knowledge of god and see their sin and that's what paul is conveying to timothy he's conveying it in a very personal manner and he's conveying it so that timothy would have the same standard to all people that he uh, would interact with. And I encourage us to do the same to all those we interact with. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for um, your words this morning in scripture. We ask that you would uh, convict and draw our hearts to be merciful and gracious uh, to all people. Help us to desire the repentance of those who are darkened, those who are blind, and those who are running away from you, and those who are opponents to you those who want to destroy you. Help us to mimic you and your son and the love that you have for those people by showing the light, by um, calling for their repentance and seeking seeking that they would come to a knowledge of you. In the name of Christ we pray, Amen. amen.